0: How many of you are aware of who Billy Graham has raised your hand? Billy Graham. I don't know. Everybody knows who Billy Graham is, right? How many know who Franklin Graham has raised your hand? Okay. Yeah, Franklin Graham is a Billy Graham's son. And uh, he went through a time of rebellion in his life. During his high school years and college age years, he really uh, went wild. he was into everything, guns and motorcycles and alcohol and drugs and women and the list goes on. He wasn't even a Christ follower. He hadn't accepted the gift that his father was proclaiming all over the world. He was just going to do his life his way. He said, I'm a hell raiser in order that I can do things my way. And he had a pretty... Rough time, obviously, and when he was 22, he was doing some travel and he ended up in Israel, of all places, and he ran into a, a guy named Jimmy, and he talked to him, and uh, God used uh, this person to bring Franklin Graham back to the Lord. And uh, that's a beautiful thing, right? When the rebellious person... Comes back. And that's what we'll be talking about today as we finish our series. You'll see the list of our messages here that we've done. April 3rd, What's a Family For? How to Restore Harmony in Your Home? Uh, Raising kids without raising your blood pressure? And today, Hope for Hurting Parents. We've gotten great response to this series. You can uh, go on the internet, our website, and go to here. Other sermons you might have missed, or maybe you want to point friends uh, to these different messages. You think that might be helpful uh, for them. But today is hope for hurting parents. And we're going to look at a very familiar Bible story, and that is the prodigal son. Remember Luke 15? We have the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And it's one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible that speaks Of God's love for lost people and how He will do anything in order to reach them. So, if we look at the start of the story, we see in uh, Matthew or Luke, Luke 15, Luke 15, uh, verse 12. It says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me, and his He divided his property between them. Now, what we have to understand here is always the cultural context. We might read that and say, yeah, that's not appropriate. But back in that day, it was an honor-shame type of culture. So, when you talk about a father, you were to honor him in every way. And if you disobeyed him, or embarrassed him, it would bring shame upon the Father. And that would just be painful for the whole family. So we read that and say, okay, I'm familiar with that, but if you were listening to Jesus tell this story back in that day, you go, what? What happened? You're saying that, that some kid, especially the second kid, came up and asked for his inheritance? How does that work? When do you usually get your inheritance? When your mom or dad are dead. So basically he was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And wow, I mean, people really were shocked in the crowd. He said, give me a share of my property. He said, I want it liquidated so I can go off and spend it on my own. So the father divided his property between them. And so the younger son sold off the property, and went to have a good time. The other son, and he's really one of the key parts of the story, we're not going to get to that because that's not our focus, is the older son who was really representing the Pharisees, uh, the religious ones, the ones who had followed all the rules, the legalists, and, uh, you know, of course, if you've read the story. But uh, this father was something unbelievable. And, and the first... The first principle we learn here is that when you have worked with your child or young adult uh, and and you have worked with them and you have prayed with them and you have gotten counseling, uh, you've done everything that you can to try to encourage them to come back to Jesus and they just say, no way. You know, if they're 18 and they want to go, you have to let them go, right? Again, we still think we can control it if they're in our home. But that's just, a, that's just not true. They're going to rebel in their heart, and they're going to do whatever they want to do. That's probably one of the most power, uh, painful things that parents can do, is come to that point where they have done everything. They have prayed hours for their child, and now they have to say, okay, you can go. You can go pursue what you want to do. Because in many cases, that's the only way that they'll learn that they are rebellious toward God. They need to turn to Him. I mean, It's great one we can learn secondhand from somebody else, right? But there's some people that are just so stubborn, you know, so sinfully oriented in this period of their life, and they say, hey, I don't believe the things you told me. There are a lot of great things out there in the world, and I'm going to go out and experience them. Now, here's the beautiful thing about being a parent and having a child like that. Is that when you let them go, you don't really let them go, right? Who's controlling? Who's watching over that child? God the Father is, right? And that's another amazing thing about being a Christ follower, right? It's very common for children to rebel. If you think about Adam and Eve, they had a rebellious son, and Noah, and Daniel, and Samuel, and Eli, and we could keep going. Yeah, this happens a lot because people are sinners. But he let them go. But the wonderful thing about prayer, in fact, we used to have a, a prayer for prodigals group here. Uh, I don't know what. Seven years ago, there are several families who were struggling with that, and they just got together to pray and encourage uh, one another. And please put that on your uh, communication slip. We'll take our offering later if uh, you want to talk to somebody about uh, a child uh, that has left you and rebelled against you. So we know, though, that God is in control, and that's when God's, Love and sovereignty becomes real to us because we are totally out of control. There is nothing we can do. We tried everything and we've let the child go because we know that God will work in their life. That Hopefully God will turn them around. It's not a guarantee, of course, but again, we continue to pray and ask God to protect them, God to be with them. And they are safe, in a sense, in God's presence. Again, they make bad decisions, things like that, but again, you know that at least God is controlling it. And He is the perfect Father, right? No doubt. So you've got to let them go. And that is the most difficult thing to do. And that's why so many parents enable their children, right? We're all guilty of it in some small way or significant way. I don't know. know, We love our children so much, and we want the best for them. So instead of just letting them go, we enable them. We enable them by keeping them in our homes. Why should you keep a child in your home when they're out there living their own life, doing what they want? I'm talking about adult children. Don't do that. I mean, there are certain situations uh, where it's helpful, but the point is that parents easily enable their kids because they're just tired of dealing with this person. They are just, you know, their energy has been drained. They say, whatever, you know, let them stay. But it takes a lot of courage in order to discipline your child in this way. And that's why it's so important to be in small groups and other type of Christian uh, groups where you're talking about life issues. Because other people can encourage you when you don't have the courage to do the right thing. And, and it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But again, put something on like communication slip, talk to your small group leader or the group, and, and just ask, you know, this is where I'm at. And and they can so more clearly see or that one person can more clearly see that you need to let that child go. And the courage comes through them, through God, to you. So think about if you have a rebellious child, are you enabling them in any way? Are you sending them money if they're still rebelling against God? Well, what's the purpose of that, right? In fact, John Piper, uh, well-known... Pastor up in Minnesota, uh, he had his child excommunicated from the church because the child said i don't I don't believe in God anymore and he was uh, his name was Abraham, and he went through this time of rebellion for four years. He just checked out and John Piper, you know walked through this, a church walked through this I mean there's many different pastors nationally known that have had kids like this. The president of Converge, the association that we're a part of, had his son who's still in a rebellious period. So I want to let you know that you're not alone. You are not alone. There's a lot of support and encouragement that you can receive. Luke 15 and 13 says, Not many days later... The younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. Let me finish this verse for you. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Then in 1514 it says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need. So the son says, listen, the world has a much better life for me out there. And so I'm just going to take my resources and I'm going to live to the greatest extent and experience the greatest pleasures. So he's got all these resources with him and he goes to Jerusalem, I imagine, I don't know. And he you know, he starts spending money, you know, parties every night. And, of course, everybody loves him, right? You're going to go to the guy who's hosting the party, who's going to give you the food and the experiences that you want. So he was the most popular guy wherever he was at that particular time, right? And he he, that's right, he was far away, so he was in in a, in a, a country far away. And he was just having the greatest time of his life and living it out, and everything that he thought would satisfy him. But then he ran out of money. He ran out of resources. Wow. Now, what am I going to do now? And then on top of that, a famine is in the land. Now, if you look at ancient descriptions of famines, I mean, it was so sad, they would eat anything. I mean, they would eat. Uh, they would eat stray animals. They would eat their shoes sometimes. They would even eat the afterbirth because they were so hungry. There was nothing for them. So here we find this prodigal son lost in this particular uh, period. And we look at verse fourteen or fifteen. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Uh, Again, yeah. people are listening to this parable, and they're thinking, that is the worst job a kosher Jew could have. <laughs> right? Taking care of pigs who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. You think at this point, <laughs> the child would have turned around. But he doesn't, right? He's still trying to do life on his own. He's willing to feed uh, the pigs. And verse 16, we see that it says, And he was longing to be fed with a pod the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So you can imagine him there. And he's feeding the pigs this food, and he can't even eat any of it himself because it's for the pigs. Talk about hitting bottom, huh? Look at Proverbs 20, 30. It says, physical punishment cleanses away evil. Such discipline purifies the heart. Now, again, what it's talking about is someone, again, who's like a prodigal son. And talking about the fact that they are going through painful circumstances because of their sin. And that's the only way that you can truly purify the heart. So again, you can imagine the father, you know, he's back there hearing different reports about his son. And he's just, again, trusting God. That God would do something amazing. In Luke 15:15, 15, 15, it says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in the fields uh, to feed pigs. Now, what you have to realize is, that, again, this is where you don't want to be as a Jew. It's unsanitary. Uh, it's just not heard of in their culture. So here he was. You'd think he'd hit bottom at this point. But he hasn't hit bottom at this point. One issue I want to address is that many parents have a lot of false guilt over their children who rebel. They think that it's all 100% their fault. And that, this is not the truth. Because first of all, you have to look at a child's life and all the different things that are influencing them. When you think about our culture and and the media and what they see on uh, social media. And and also you think about... uh, Just being at school. You know, friends that influence them. Teachers that influence them. Now again, you might have played a role. and You need to ask forgiveness for that. But don't beat yourself up. That doesn't help anything, right? Because you've been forgiven for whatever you've done. So you need to claim that forgiveness and continue to pray for your son. So if you have false guilt about a child that has gone the wrong way, you think, in your mind. You've just got to continue to pray to the Lord, own what you've done, but realize it's not all your fault. And let's face it, Adam and Eve, they were made by God, and and they made a sinful decision. Right? Every parent, no matter how much they invest in their child and raise their child to know and love Jesus Christ and study the Word there's no guarantees, as we talked about last week. It's something we just have to accept how painful it might be. Then we look at Luke 15:17. But when he came to himself, much like that, but when he came to himself, other scripture versions say, when he came to his senses. wouldn't you just like to have the power uh, to go to somebody who's rebelling against you and stubborn and just causing all kinds of pain in their life and just lay the Bible on their heads and they'll instantly come to their senses (laughs) they'll understand all the things you've been teaching them all the things you've been telling them oh mom, dad, thank you thank you for saving me from so much pain I tell you what We are so surprised at how stubborn kids can be and how we can be. They're so stubborn. They're so set in their pride that they will continue to work themselves into more pain and more pain because the one thing they don't want to do is say, you were right. Right? I mean, they'll live in all kinds of pain because they don't want to give up their pride. Well, that's what you need to continue to pray uh, for that rebellious son or daughter. That they would come to that point where they come to their senses. And again, prayer is such a critical piece of caring for rebellious children. And that's the one thing that you can do that's going to make the biggest difference. And so, of course, you know, when you find people who are struggling with problems, they finally turn to prayer. Everything else is going okay. You know, life is good. I don't need to pray. It's one of the reasons God allows problems into our lives, and that you can go to Him every day and pray, 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 and pray in order for your child uh, to come back to God. Now, the great temptation is that uh, if the father had heard this report about their son, is to rush in too early. That's another weakness we sometimes have as a parent. You say, well, I'm going to rush in there. and I know he must be at his lowest point yet. No, you wait for them to tell you they're at their lowest point, that they have been broken. That's really what the issue was, right? He had been broken. He'd been living on pride and living on self-confidence, and everything fell apart. And that's difficult for parents parents to watch, because they want to protect their children. But in some situations, you just got to let them go. Don't bail them out. Don't send them money. Don't fly to wherever they're at. Just let God take care of it. And that's something that takes a lot of faith. Because he did come to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Finally, he says something that makes sense, right? Here I am in this pig uh, pen you now feeding these pigs, and the hired guys at my uh, father's estate—they get paid and cared for well better than I'm doing. And so he decides to set out and uh, make his life different. Luke 15:18. I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So it's a totally different attitude as he comes back to the father. First of all, he had a give me attitude. Give me what I deserve. Give me what I want. Let go of me. And he comes with another type of orientation, and that is make me. Make me into something different. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to uh, gain wisdom from you. I'm coming back from the Lord. And and that is the most critical point. And I think that we all can reflect back on a time in our lives when uh, our pride was broken. You think about that? That's really something essential that needs to happen in the Christian life. Well, you really realize through a life situation that you can't do it, and that you've been prideful, and that you've been dependent upon yourself instead of relying on God. So that's what happened here. We need to obviously pray as our children are in these type of situations and wait. That's probably the hardest thing to do. Luke 15:20. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. All right, again, you'd have to be that in culture. In that culture, to understand the dynamics here, one thing that an elder would not do in that day is that they would run because they had long gowns to cover their legs, and their legs were just not to be seen. Okay. <laughs> for many reasons. Uh but all I had to say, in order for this father to run, he had to pick up his robe, lift it up, so people could see his knees, and again, you just didn't do that. So all the people are going, Wow, this this guy's crazy. He's crazy in love with his kid, right? So he's running, you know, to him, and then you gotta think about <laughs> the prodigal son at this point, right? He's been, who, who knows how long he's been in a pig pen. Can you imagine how much he smells? He's probably been wearing the same outfit for who knows how many years, even. And, and, and he smells. You ever been around somebody where you, you just have to move? It's a sad situation, but again, it's just overwhelming. Well, double that, triple that, and that's what he smelled like. And he was covered with slop and, uh, he was just a mess. You'd think the father would say, hey, why don't you clean up and then we'll talk. <laughs> no! No, this is a boundless love of God that's being unveiled. And so this picture of God just running to us, when we come back to him and throwing our arms, or throwing his arms around us, no matter how filthy, We are. No matter how long we've been away from Him. Friends, God is always waiting. He's always waiting for you to come back to Him. And it will take you just the way you are. Just the way you are. You might think, oh no, I've disqualified myself from being a child of God because I did all these things. No. No. God is a God of grace. God is a God of the second chance, right? Don't you love that? We we have a God who's filled with grace and He will forgive us again and again and again. It's kind of an amazing God uh, that we uh, serve. So we ran and embraced Him. Luke 15, 21. And it says, And the Son said to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before You. I am no longer worthy of to be called your son. He was in the right position, right? He realized, hey, <laughs> I can understand if you want me just to walk away. So he was basically saying what he had practiced. And we look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now again, you have to imagine the audience in that day listening to this. Because what the father was doing was doing several different things. First of all, he brought out the robe, which was a symbol of being part of the family. Being known as part of that family people are saying, hey, give the kids some time, maybe a year or two before you take that kind of step. But the father does it immediately because he loves his son and he's completely forgiven him. He puts that robe on him and then he gives him the the family ring, the signet ring, which they used in that day to, you know, certify letters as well as to pay for things. It was kind of like a credit card. Wherever you went, you could put down the family signet and uh, you could buy whatever you wanted. Now, is that, you're going to give? <laughs> is that what you're going to give to a rebellious child that finally comes home? Oh, yeah, oh, that's good. Now, again, this is an extreme situation because we have an extreme God. Obviously, if you have a child come back, you use your judgment in uh, what you're going to do in response uh, to his uh, humility. But here God, He just goes to the extreme, gives him the, gives him the credit card, and uh, puts new shoes on him. They throw a, a big party. Now remember the elder brother? We're not going to get into that today. But he was jealous, right? He was really jealous. You've never thrown a party like that for me. And again, the main point of the story was telling these Pharisees, these religious teachers, hey, you are confused. You don't know about my grace and my love and my forgiveness. You don't know why I hang around sinners, and, and sometimes you say, "Well, how can I, um, how can I unconditionally love my son or daughter?" And, but they're so involved in things that I don't accept or approve of. Well, it's very easy. You think of Jesus. who did he hang out with, right? Sinners, he didn't approve of their behavior, but he loved them unconditionally there's a big difference and of course you can communicate that to your child i love you unconditionally but i don't approve of your behavior and when you do that it makes it a lot easier for that child to come and say i'm sorry i've messed up and and when that when that happens you also got to own your part of it because there's some part of you in there right and and you got to say i'm sorry for letting you down I'm sorry for this or that, whatever God leads you to say. So again, this is just <laughs> counterintuitive for people back in that day to see this son being rewarded for all these things. We'll have Judy and Jerry Scraley uh, come out at this time, and they're going to share about their experience uh, with their kids and how this worked out in their lives.
1: We're sure most, if not all of you, are familiar with the hymn that starts, Our God is great. Our God is strong. God, you're higher than any other. And Judy and I can hold this in truth concerning our parenting of our five daughters. We were a blended family with four daughters being teenagers when we got married. Uh, And God's perfect plan His desire wouldn't have us go through divorce because it causes so much pain for everyone. It was only when we reflected on our marriage and our parenting that we came to say that we were both lukewarm Christians at best. Yes, we believed in one true almighty God and that his son Jesus gave his life on the cross for our salvation, but we talked the talk, and we didn't. We did not walk the walk. We went to church, we prayed, but at home we laid no example at all. For building a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we even joined small groups, but didn't bring. Begin, <clears throat> excuse me. Didn't bring them home. It was more of an individual faith, but not a family in faith. We didn't go to pray as a family, open the Bible together, or seek God's word on how to deal with things. We prayed for our kids, but not with our kids. Rebellion and its consequences filled our home.
2: Four of the girls were hospitalized at different times for suicide attempts. Hard drugs were involved. In-family molestation occurred. Laura, our youngest daughter, not only rebelled with this, but also had gotten into the new age spiritualism. There was cutting and self-mutilation. Jerry and I continued praying for them to our faithful God, always having hope but we still were not leading them in a personal relationship with Jesus. We hadn't changed our pattern at home. As we were approaching Christmas 13 years ago, Laura asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I answered that I really wanted her to come with us to Christmas Eve service at Springbrook. It was just a year and a half ago I heard from her that she had planned that to be her last Christmas she would be alive. She wanted a new life and felt no one understood. She did go with us, and during the beginning of the service, kind of tuned everything out. But God stepped in. He knew exactly what she needed to hear. And as Pastor Dan referred to the term new life in his message, the Holy Spirit took over and filled her with her heart's desire. That evening, she turned her life over to Christ and recited the prayer of salvation. She came on fire for the Lord in every way and was so filled with the Holy Spirit. Sadly, Jerry and I were still lukewarm and were so thankful to God. Laura had a couple from church who were also on fire. We know for sure God put this couple in her life for his purpose and her purpose of reaching others with such a passion and commitment. Well, her passion spread like wildfire, not only to Jerry and I, but to her sister who chose to be baptized the same day Laura was, and she led her stepsister to Christ five years ago. She brought a new life, a passion, and a real desire for building our relationship with Christ to the point where people could just just see it in us. Laura has committed herself to God's will, has a gift of evangelism, shares the gospel, follows his lead no matter how difficult because she knows God will see her through it and has been involved in ministries. It is all God. It certainly wasn't us. He can do all things even when we're not doing everything right, despite our mistakes. No matter what we've done or not done, God is faithful. And our story is not over yet. Our family is closer than ever. We turn to God in our daily decision-making We surrender every day to His will. We talk with Him throughout the day and we thank and praise Him through all our circumstances. The children see this and also find a peace in us that they had never witnessed before. Our continued prayers as we pray together are being answered in God's perfect timing. One of our leadings from God was that our granddaughter, who is 11, would lead her family to God. She and her mom came to Springbrook's Easter service this year where Andy Suarez gave his testimony of wanting his family to have a faith, his children to know God and Jesus. God used this, and that day our granddaughter accepted Christ as her Savior and committed herself to him. Praise God. Laura and John have sent her a study Bible, and since then she and her mommy and daddy have gone to church every Sunday. It's a family affair. God changes us from the inside out. We're not giving up, and don't you give up. Since our recommitment in our walk, blessings and fruit are more evident in our lives.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. you see how God works? We get many more parents up here who could say the same thing. God. Loves your children, and uh, is a different plan for everyone. And trusting in Him is the key to peace, and the key to restoration. So, where are you at today? How many of you are prodigals yourself? No, I mean, prodigals from God—you've walked away from God. You basically said, "God, you're not that important in my life," and. You've lived your life in that way and maybe you're starting to feel the pain or maybe you're really feeling the pain right now and you realize that uh, you're broken. Your pride is broken and you know that you want to make Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Not just a substitute when you need help. But Lord of your life, somebody who controls you, lives through you, and ministers to you on a daily basis. So friends, if you're a prodigal here today, a prodigal from your parents or a prodigal from God, I would just encourage you to talk to someone, talk to a close friend, talk to the pastors, anybody that you trust, and say, you know what, I'm a prodigal, and I need to come back. God, I need to make things right with my parents. And I know it is so painful, uh, so complicated, but God wants your best. He wants you to be healthy in every way. It's only when you're in right relationships with other people that that happens. Maybe you're a parent today and you have a rebellious child. Maybe for several years and maybe for 10 years, 15 years. And you're so tired. You're so tired of praying. You're so tired of lifting your, your child up to God and just wonder, why God? Why aren't you answering? Now God knows why. And we might never know why until we see him. But keep on praying. This will encourage you to stay strong. Your prayers are making a difference. No, Dan, look at what, no. When you pray, it makes a difference, right? God carries out what He needs to do in that person's life because of your faithful prayers. And always get other people praying with you. Many times we'll see that type of request on our prayer requests that come in from the communication slip. And so I encourage you to get other people, get a group, maybe you know, four people, and, and just you know send out weekly emails or texts in terms of "Could you pray for Jimmy or pray for whatever your, your son or daughter's name is." maybe uh, today uh, you have experienced the grace of God. You were a rebel, and now you come to Him. You walked away, but now you've walked to Him. You're not saying, give me anymore." You're saying, make me. I just hope that the Holy Spirit would encourage you through this message, convict you, and lead you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank You so much for this powerful parable. Lord, it's so well known. And Lord, there are so many prodigals out there. So many prodigal sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray for all of them who's ever represented in this room who was a child. I pray for that child. And I pray that You would break through that pride barrier and that they would come to know and serve you, Lord. These are these are deep issues. These are emotional issues, Lord. And I, I just want to encourage anybody here who's struggling for whatever reason to talk to somebody and start on the path back towards God, or that their children come to God. We thank you for your grace in Christ's name. Amen met.